Hello and welcome to another recording of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, I wanted to have a discussion here about one of the other books of the New Testament as, as we were kind of discussing the historical backdrops of, of Christ and his times. And I wanted to talk about Revelation um, because to me it kind of seems like a left turn almost from some of the other elements of the New Testament. Obviously, it's not written as a letter, so that makes it different than the letters, and nor is it um, the story of, of Christ's life, which makes it different than than the gospel. So by itself, it's already starting from a, a different standpoint, and I'm, I want to make that noted, but I, I had gone through it over the last week or so, basically rereading it, and one of the notes that I felt that came across was it almost seemed as if it were a a kind of a, a political message in the sense that he was telling the churches what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong, what they needed to do, which obviously spiritual guidance is necessary and not trying to discount that. Um, but like at the points when they're saying that, that Satan or, you know, the number of the beast is Nero um, and that a wise man be able to figure it out and stuff like that. It just, it, it just kind of came across to me as, as much more of a, I mean, it was abstract in its writing, so I'm putting some of myself into that, which uh, full full omission and probably the problem. But I just kind of wanted to talk about it, see if I'm the only person who's ever had these types of thoughts. Like, it seems just really different compared to uh, the continual message of love. You're talking about the martyrs um, being passed away and washing themselves in the blood of Christ and and, and, and I might be blending things and mixing whole things up that shouldn't be blended. But um, I wanted to give you the floor here up front so we can set it down a correct path before I start going astray. Well, the book of Revelation is uh, certainly uh, mysterious. It's part of a, a, a kind of literature called apocalyptic literature that's trying to speak about uh, hidden mysteries and it can only do it adequately in language that is uh, filled with symbols, symbolic uh, images and things like that. It's uh, talking about, so that's where we have these kind of, you know, headmen and or a horseman, horse head, whatever, with, uh, with, with locust heads and uh, wings. And, you know, we've got all kinds of crazy beasts going on there and signs in the, in the heavens and uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. So it's, it's trying to speak about things in symbolic language and is, uh, you know, the, wh whether the word revelation, which of course means to reveal, to unveil, or apocalyptic, which is, means the same thing, uh, apocalypso uh, in, uh, in the Greek is again, to remove the veil, to unveil. So it's trying to give a glimpse into a transcendent reality. And um, so anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on in there, uh, making, making direct applications like, oh, this is this and this is that. And the other thing, you know, some of these uh, evangelical groups have formed around some of these concepts and I have never kept them straight, but the, the millennials and the post-millennials and the pre-millennials and the Anyway, like, is this the thousand years of peace or is this the, the after the thousand years? Is that already, you know, it's like if you try to apply some of these dates and times and numbers 
too literally, I think you just end up in some strange places. Um, so you have to take it in a, in a somewhat symbolic regard. It's not, and it's meant to be, it's a vision, you know, the, the, it's written as a vision. It's not written as historical reality. So the, the genre of revelation is, of the book of revelation is different than the genre of the gospels, which are written as history. They're not visions and symbolic expressions. They are historical accounts. And so we read them that way, according to the the genre that they themselves are are offering us. So when John says he had a vision, we take it as that and we try to understand it. And uh, at the same time, uh, to your point about it seeming different than the rest of Scripture, so the first thing we want to do is read it as not different from the rest of Scripture. We, we can imply various interpretive keys, but one of the approaches to interpreting Scripture is called the canonical approach, and that is to say we interpret the Bible as a whole, uh, not uh, so, so the, the points, you know, God didn't change between the gospel and the book of Revelation. It's the same God who works in the same way, who has the same message, who is calling us. So we want to apply that same key, the key we learned from the gospels to Revelation. At the same point, you know, Revelation adds something. It is part of sacred scripture. So we also interpret the gospels to a certain degree in light of the book of Revelation. There's a mutual uh, informing, interpreting that's going on there, but we can't, we can't ever derive contradictions it's not going to contradict uh, the gospel. If, we, if, we've driven, if we've gotten that message, then we've done something wrong. We've taken a false turn somewhere. So when we look at the book of Revelation, we actually find, you know, clearly it's talking about a lot of trial, persecution, and that probably is related to the historical reality. There was all of that trial going on in the first century of the church, a lot of persecution of Christians. And the message of Revelation is certainly perseverance. Um, it's similar to the messages at the end of uh, the Gospels. Jesus talks also about, he uses apocalyptic language, language similar to the book of Revelation to talk about earthquakes and famines and wars. And he says in those times, he doesn't tell Christians to take up swords, pick sides and destroy their enemies. He tells Christians to persevere in the faith, to hold fast, not to prepare their testimony in advance, but God will give them a wisdom and, uh, in speaking when they are taken before governors and kings and forced to give testimony. Uh, so he tells them to persevere. And the example of all the apostles is martyrdom. They persevere to the end. And Jesus says, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. And so that's the triumph that God is talking about in the gospel and again in the book of Revelation is not that Christians are going to wage war against the enemy, but rather that Christ is not telling Christians to conquer their enemies, but rather to hold firm in the faith, even to the point of martyrdom, like Christ himself did, shedding their blood, going to the cross. And so when we talk about being washed in the blood of the lamb, uh, the martyrs washed in, the, in their own blood, uh, really, are dying for the faith. And that's a, a critical point that, that Jesus would tell us, well, yeah, when push comes to shove, uh, you, you might die. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> so we wouldn't necessarily have that idea if he hadn't told us that that was a good idea. Usually when push comes to shove, you might kill. 
And that's a good thing. That's the mentality of the world. That's not the mentality of the Christian. Uh, now, let's just set aside for a moment all of the just war theory and self-defense and all of that stuff. So I'm not discounting all of that. But the point is, especially in the book of Revelation, we're, we're hearing about those who are uh, loving Christ and holding firm in the faith, even to the point of death. And that's certainly the example we see in the early centuries, very profoundly, all of the stories of the saints in the early centuries. I think the first saint who is not a martyr is St. Martin of Tours. It's not until the third, uh, till the fourth, uh, late third century, I guess, early fourth century. All of the, the heroes that were heralded by the Christians and celebrated in the mass and uh, whose tombs were decorated and became shrines and were prayed to for their uh, companionship and help in persevering in the faith. They're all martyrs. So we're, all, we're looking at all martyrs in the beginning of the church. And uh, that's certainly what we see in the, in the book of Revelation is like, it's going to get real bad and you're going to die. And don't be surprised and don't be afraid. <laughs> So, oh, great. Okay, that sounds wonderful. Um, but the, the point is also, and this is really important in the book of Revelation, when it gets really bad, it's not a sign that God has abandoned you. He's right there with you in the conflict, and he will give you the strength and help you to persevere. And in fact, uh, one of the ways we can interpret the book of Revelation, and Scott Hahn did a wonderful job of this in his book, uh, The Lamb's Supper, is, is to read it as an account of the Eucharist, that really we're getting a kind of heavenly perspective of the Mass of the Eucharist in the book of Revelation. The Eucharist is really, uh, is, is really a vision of heaven, a vision of total self-sacrificing love, which is to the point of shedding blood, and yet is, uh, is a sign of triumph of the, the risen Christ. The lamb who is slain is also risen, and he feeds us with himself. And so the Eucharist, the Mass, as the, the context, the arena in which Christians were practicing for martyrdom, we go to Mass to see Jesus martyred, to see him killed on the cross, and we stir up our courage that when we're under persecution, that we also will die on the cross, that we also will give our lives in martyrdom. So in a certain sense, the mass is the daily or weekly practice to become more like Jesus, especially dying in the face of persecution, rather than slaying our enemies, loving them to death, to our own death. <laughs> so, uh, you know, these are the, some of the things that are that are revealed in the, in the book of Revelation. And then, you know, we can pull out a lot of particular examples and the instruction to the churches, the seven churches, and we can think of those as, you know, kinds of dioceses or a certain parish communities or, you know, however the modern analogy would be for those early Christian communities. But, you know, a lot of them is, a lot of the addressing of them is challenging them to stir up their courage and live their faith boldly and generously. Uh, you have lost the love you had at first. Uh, you think that you are uh, wealthy and successful, and in fact, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Um, you know, I, I honor you for you are facing persecution and persevere. It's, you know, uh, you're going to, I'm with you. You're going to make it. Don't forget about me. Uh, 
love love me jesus is saying to them so those are anyway those are some of the messages of uh, of the book of revelation it's going to get rough god will not abandon you he'll be with you and he'll give you courage not to slay your enemies but to die at their hands out of love and ultimately that's what will triumph and ultimately that's what did triumph we no longer have the ancient roman empire we no longer have the emperors we no longer have the, the, the Greek empire. We no longer have the, uh, the terrible Igemeans who uh, were ruling over Judea at that time, Herod and his, his successors. We don't have any of that, but we do have Christ. We do have Christianity. We do have the, the church. Uh, the church has persevered through one empire after another and by Christians holding firm even to the point of shedding their blood and so giving us the example that we should be ready, prepare ourselves, ask God's help that we can do the same. Yeah, in modern times, Poland brought down the Soviet empire um, through this exact thing. So what you kind of articulated to me there was something that I was not looking at it from. I was looking at it from society as a total, a, a big picture, if you will, and you zoomed it all the way down to the individual. And that, to me, makes makes it make a lot more sense. Um, you know, go back to the last cast. I was trying to figure out, you know, because we could be each of the individuals in the Bible, you know, really throughout them, and you know, how would you deal deal with it? And that message of in the beginning, there's seven examples of how you can go wrong, how you go sideways, and. As an individual, inevitably, we all hit at least one of those, if not a bunch of them, and just a an answer of, of how to do. And it's and then as you get further into it, you get get about how the the saints are are, are washed in the, in the blood of Christ, and and as you just said there, that's more, martyrdom. And to think of how hard that that would have to be to. To, to be at a spot where, where you're willing to accept martyrdom is, is, is as you said, but many times before the, the ultimate act of courage and faith. And obviously there's, there's a lot of importance there, but maybe it's because we're in a softer time and we don't have a soldier bearing down on us every time we pay our taxes for better or worse. We don't have a lot of opportunities in modern America where we literally can die for our faith. And I have to, uh, to to make the assumption that this is more than just literally dying for the faith. This is when you have a chance to stand up for something that's right, do you do it or not? You know, all the things you teach to second graders, you know, do, do what to others what you would rather have done to you. Um, you know, do, do what's right even when it's scary, regardless of what the mob does. And as you were articulating it that there, it kind of spun in. It made sense to me there. Now, I don't want to be putting words in your mouth. So if you could tell me if I'm right or wrong there. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's right. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot that we can take. The book of Revelation, again, because of its symbolic nature, it's going to keep speaking to us in different ways. The the message is not so straightforward. And so we, we have to kind of re-encounter it at different points in our life. As the church has encountered it over and over again throughout history, 
while it's rooted in a particular persecution, some will say that the number of the beast is referring to Nero and that it's really in the midst of Nero's persecution of Christians in which he did pretty horrendous things. I mean, putting Christians, you know, heads on stakes and crucifying them along the way and letting bodies rot and uh, just all kinds of horrendous things that it may have been uh, sort of originally inspired or the Christians may have originally applied it to the persecution of Nero. But the reality is we have persecution throughout history and the church has reapplied. Oh, and sometimes, you know, oh, maybe now is the time that the book of Revelation is being fulfilled. You know, so that's, we've had that antiphon a few times throughout history. And uh, in a certain sense, yes, exactly. That's the, the value of symbolic language is that can be true every time that the book of Revelation is being fulfilled, not as a single once for all time, but uh, that the symbolic language encapsulates, gathers together all of those various examples at a kind of global level or a national level, but also then at an individual level. I'm going through my revelation, my book of Revelation, my experience of persecution seems like, you know, people all around me, or like you said, those different admonitions by Jesus to the seven churches. Well, one of them is mine, and I need to hear that. Uh, Jesus says, this I hold against you. You have lost the love you had at first. Or another uh, line that is often quoted, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens to me, I will come in and dine with him. And what a beautiful invitation. It's inspired art and inspired music and you know, we, we imagine Jesus standing outside, knocking to get into our hearts. He doesn't break down the door because he honors our freedom, but he knocks because he loves us so much and wants to get in, doesn't want us to be empty inside, but to be filled with him and to enjoy his fellowship, his friendship at table. You know, so anyway, those, all, a lot of those beautiful lines and images. And then, of course, the image of Our Lady that appears in Revelation 12 is something we go back to over and over again as Catholics, and then was taken up particularly by Our Lady herself in the apparition in Mexico. Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared literally clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And that also turned out to be the fulfillment of what some of those uh, South American religions, like the Aztecs, were looking for. This woman clothed with the sun is greater than the sun god. She stands on the moon. She's greater than the moon god. She's crowned with 12 stars. He decorates her. The stars decorate her rather than she being subject to them. And so it shows the transcendence, the magnificence of the mother of God. And she is pregnant in the Our Lady of Guadalupe and in Revelation 12 with a male child. And so she's uh, seen as the, you know, the fulfillment, the one who brings us the God who rules over all gods and uh, the one that the enemy wants to kill and continues to try to kill in different ways. And in our age, we experience the effort to kill God through a, a scientism as one example and uh, to, to use history to, to destroy him perhaps or to, you know, anyway, the we experience these threats over and over again, and it's renewed in every age. But, um, but yeah, the, bo the book of Revelation has a lot to teach us, and it's good to have a little guide. I mentioned you know, Scott Hahn's The Lamb's Supper. That gives a particular view into it. Also, uh, I wanted to mention in our last podcast, and it just slipped away from me, but 
Another good guide to some of the historical uh, points is the Ignatius Study Bible. It was also put together by Scott Hahn and some of his collaborators. Uh, it's just the New Testament at the moment, although the Old Testament is underway and hopefully will come out in the next year or so. But it provides extensive footnotes, word studies, different essays on things just like you were talking about in the last uh, podcast that we had, Joe, some of those historical realities. And you'd find some wonderful things about the book of Revelation also in there. Uh, it goes verse by verse and will explain different you know, verses and paragraphs and words and images and applies them. Also, it has summaries of whole books. And uh, those are also extremely useful and can give us some context about the genre and the, the dating of the books and what the historical context was and all of the, the wonderful things that you're uh, bringing out for us in our, in our recent podcasts. So the Ignatius Study Bible uh, in general for anything in the New Testament, hopefully soon for the Old Testament, and then the book of Revelation in particular, uh, the, the Lamb's Supper I found to be the most useful kind of comprehensive look at, at that book. And thank you for, for sharing those because going back to what you were saying as far as we're getting attacked in different ways now, um, as, as I kind of look at this in totality about, you know, obviously one of the reasons we did this podcast as a total was to try to get people to draw back closer to Christ. It's in every single episode description I've ever written. And because as I'm looking at it, and I could be wrong here, but I don't know if apathy is the right word, but it feels right that people have filled up their lives with so much irrelevant fluff and just to literally suck all of the time out of your life to not be able to focus on the building up of your spiritual muscles. And to me, I see that as, as the big way it's attacked now. Um, and, and to have examples, as you says, the Ignatius study Bible there is, is a great tool. And, um, like I said, I, I want to definitely thank you for doing this episode as far as every other one we've ever done. Uh, we are growing like crazy and, and it is giving faith that there is a number of people who are trying to, to curb this ship, to, to, to get more people to, to, to return to faith. To, to you know to come back to, to God so I'd like to thank everyone out there for listening and father I'd like to give you the last words here today yeah I just wanted to comment on your uh, insight about apathy being a real enemy it's something we can derive from the book of Revelation there's a reason that that it's writing about crisis persecution it gets our attention when we're under persecution when we're in crisis when we have trials it gets our attention. And then we start to look for ways out. We don't have in ourselves what we need to overcome, to make it through. And so we're starting to grasp, you know, a drowning man is, is looking for something to grab onto in a way that he wasn't when he was just wading through the, the kitty end of the pool or just relaxing in the sun. And so uh, apathy is also a consequence of luxury and we live in a very prosperous age which is a blessing on the one hand because a lot of creativity con comes in times of luxury when you're looking for a, a branch to grab onto you're not constructing paintings and composing music <laughs> you're looking for survival 
on the other hand, so we, you know, luxury is a great blessing, or it can be when we use that free time, we use the relative safety and security to be creative, to be generous, to, to assist others, to open our hearts and, and reflect, to take time for prayer. Uh, but it, it certainly is desperation that gets our attention, crisis, trial, conflict. And so that's where it seems God, you know, kind of moves us in our own personal lives. And then sort of throughout history, it's like it's part of his mercy to allow some trial to come because we might use luxury for good things, but so often we use luxury just to become self-absorbed and to think that, gosh, I don't even need a God. I'm totally in control of my own life. I'm uh, eat, drink, and be merry. My, my, my grain bins are full and I don't need anything else from anyone. I have everything in myself that I need. Well, the best thing that could happen to you in that moment is that you get cancer. You know, it's like, or that somebody breaks into your house or somebody burns down your barn. Because when we sit in that kind of self-absorbed uh, place, then we really cut God out of our lives. And our lives, in fact, become very flat. If the, if the success of my life is in it, it becomes a real blessing for us to have trials and conflicts because otherwise we settle for a happiness which is really kind of pathetic. You know, if the highest point we reach in our life is that we have a, a barn full of grain, how sad. Uh, we're made for much more than that. And so God sometimes burns down our barn full of grain to point us to the stars, to help us recognize our life is for, made for much more. And that's what the book of Revelation does, too. It takes our attention off of some of these worldly things, and it directs our attention to heaven. So, yeah, insofar as we have uh, apathy because we have luxury, well, let's just stir our hearts not to create conflict and pray for wars, but rather to make sure we're using this time of luxury, this time of safety and security for things that are really eternal, for things that are lasting, to develop our relationship with God, to pursue supernatural acts of charity, to be generous to our neighbor, and to really live life to the full, not just life with a full stomach, but really life with a full heart, life to the full. So anyway, just had to comment. You made such a nice point there, and uh, hopefully that'll give our listeners something a little bit, a little bit of inspiration and a little challenge to wrap up our, our cast today. Yeah, and as we include there, just an example hit me there and Obviously, this is a local example. I'm from Pittsburgh. Uh, but the Roonies have owned the Steelers for the longest time. And the, one of the things that, that they always are noted at is is, is being super humble. And, and they do a very good job in, in, in living the, you know, the cardinal virtues. And just to say that in a certain regards of when you've already accomplished something in terms of success, that, that is the possibly the most important time to be charitable and to be humility and to have Thanksgiving as a core theme of your life and to not lose that so that, 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 well, yes, it's not good to, to have nothing and to be working towards something is good because when you grow corn, you can give it to other people, but also at the same time to there, there's ebbs and flows of everything and we can worship God at all times. Um, but you are right. Most of us don't, don't start grasping for straws until we need them. And I think that that's something that we all should work on looking at as going forward to the next week, whether we're in a good spot or a bad spot or somewhere in between, how can we stay, continue with God and, 
and, and do it ourselves. And then our example being an example to others. So thank you everyone for listening and we will be with you guys again next week.